and welcome back to another episode of the Latina Traveler podcast. I'm your host, Flavia Cornejo Vargas, here to talk to you about all things travel, personal finance, and mental health. So a friend reached out to me on Instagram at the beginning of the year asking if I was already planning my podcast schedule for the year. And I had started to think about it, but I hadn't fully set it in stone yet but it did give me the idea that i wanted to start a mini series every three months so four times a year speaking with different professionals in different spaces so i wanted to speak with somebody that focuses on travel someone that focuses on personal finance and someone that focuses on mental health and ideally women ideally latinas but of course this could change So I started reaching out to a couple people that I thought would be interested and there has been interest. So I have started recording these episodes and this will actually be the first of this new mini series I'm starting and it's going to be with Karen of No Soy Coda and she will be speaking to us about personal finance and her personal journey. I asked Karen to provide to me a short bio on who she is and her platform so you guys can get to know her a little better. And she sent me, Karen is a 27-year-old first-gen Latinx personal finance content creator and educator on Instagram under the handle No Soy Coda, or in other words, I am not cheap. She talks all things related to personal finance through the Latinx and nonprofit professional lens. She educates her community on how to invest and budget, but she also likes to call out the bullshit in the workplace, the Latinx culture, and systemic oppressions. She uses her voice to uplift women and people of color and to create community in this niche that is very underrepresented by people that look like her. So a little backstory on how Karen and I met. I actually reached out to her a few months ago when I was working on a blog post to highlight Latina personal finance creators with like a small following on Instagram because I feel that a lot of these small creators are still making amazing content and really providing a lot of necessary information for our communities. So I'm glad that Karen was up for being part of that. And you guys can definitely check it out on my website, latinatraveler.com. So we talked all things finance, but as always, since this is more than just a finance podcast and it is also about travel and mental health, we also talk about those topics. So make sure to check it out and stay tuned. Here it is. Karen. So I wanted you to just introduce yourself a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, so my name is Karen. Um, I know <laughs> the name is popular right now, um, but I am a Latinx personal finance educator on Instagram with the handle No Soy Coda. I am a nonprofit professional. I kind of just, you know, got into that um, world, but not super passionate about it, but that's where I am right now. Um, and I mean, I just pretty much love talking about money. That's what I like to do on my, it's a passion project of mine. Definitely. I love that. Money is definitely a huge topic, especially within the Latinx community. So I'm so excited that we're going to be talking about that. And before we really get into it, I want to know what does Coda mean? Since your handle is no soy Coda, I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that is. So if you can just, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. You know what? I don't know if that is just Mexican slang. I, you know, I know you're a Spanish speaker. Is that not something that 
Yeah, and brew, that's not a word. Like, I, I mean, maybe it is a word, but it might not mean like what it means to you in, in Mexico. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so pretty much coda or codo means being cheap. And I don't know if you've ever seen anyone like lift their elbow and touch it when someone's being cheap. So it pretty much means like cheap or stingy. And I called it that because, you know, there's a difference between being cheap and frugal which I like to think that I'm frugal, but I know a lot of people in the Latinx community, especially my family, they would consider my frugality as being coda or cheap. That's so interesting. I don't think I've ever actually noticed anybody do that, but yeah, codo means like elbow, right? It's like coda, I just, I never heard of that. Okay, so then let's start at the beginning. Do you remember what your first money memory was? And was it positive? Was it negative? Is there like any story there? Funny that when I got asked this question too at a job interview, um, but I think I said, I mean, I pretty much remember trying to work for my money, work as in, you know, doing household chores and maybe getting like $20. Um, and that was pretty positive, I guess. I mean, associating, you know, doing a job and getting paid for it, but that didn't really always happen at my household. Um, I did notice that my, my dad possessed most of the power in the household. My mom was a housewife. So pretty much we had to work with whatever he gave us. You know, sometimes he would give my mom a $20 bill and she would have to go to the Latin supermarkets and make it stretch. That's what I remember. Okay, definitely. I think that's very common within Latinx communities or like families where it's like the guy is either the breadwinner or the one who's like kind of handling the finances when studies kind of show that women are actually better with money. So <laughs> maybe our communities need a little update. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that because my dad is and was is definitely not good with money, but it was definitely, I think, the power and then the culture to the the machismo, you know, like I make the money, so I manage the money. And then when I married my husband, it was so interesting to find out the opposite because he's Chinese, Japanese, American. And the wives, they managed the money and they were really good at it. So it was interesting. And I think my mom would have been really good at managing the money. So I thought kind of a lost opportunity, but she never had, she didn't have the voice to express that. In my household, my mom was actually the one who handled the money and even like my dad's 401k and in the end it worked out. So <laughs> That's, it was That's an inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk to us about being first generation Mexican American. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of immigration between the two countries. And how has your Mexican culture um, influenced money um, during your childhood and your upbringing? So I claim first gen, but technically I'm one and a half. So my dad was born and raised in actually the town that I was born and raised in which is a small city in Los Angeles. And, but my mom was born and raised in Mexico in a small town of 200 people. 
But get this, my dad's family is also from that same town. My grandmas, both grandmas were neighbors. So his mom, my mom's mom were neighbors. So they met on a vacation. Um, so you know how like whenever you go home and visit your family. So that's where they met. Um, population like 250. So pretty much when I, whenever I go back to Mexico, I pretty much am related to everyone there. Wow. <laughs> my mom and my dad's experiences are very different. So my dad is a first gen. His mom, no, like barely an elementary school education. His dad died when he was 21. So he definitely, he didn't really have the chance to really, you know, succeed the way other first gens did because he had so much of that burden to help his mom. And then with the loss of his dad, he was taking care of the bills for his mom and the house. Um, so that was really hard on him. My mom, she immigrated here at the age of around 25, um, spoke very little English and had to work a little bit in the, in the fields, in the, what is it? I think she was picking grapes or carrots. Uh, my dad was definitely the breadwinner. So he would work around 12 hours a day. So I was mostly with my mom. So that definitely meant a lot of translating for her. Um, we didn't have a car either, so she didn't drive. So definitely just kind of following her around everywhere. And in terms of with the money, um, like I said, my dad, he managed all of it. And he also had the biggest say, and my mom had the very little say to do with the money, even though Many times she didn't agree with the way things were being spent in the house. Um, so definitely the big machismo culture in my household. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's been my first money experience. Did, um, did your parents ever talk to you about money? I mean, aside from like, you know, if you'd go with your mom to the store or anything like that, and she was given a certain amount, but did anybody ever really talk about it? Or was it something that was more like taboo and like, like a subject for the adults? You know, what was funny is that we did, but not in a very healthy way. So my mom was a little bit more frugal, you know, she didn't want to, because she was an immigrant, she didn't want to give it up. My dad was a little bit of the opposite he liked to waste money. He didn't like that. So we would go to casinos and he wanted, he would give me money and he wanted me to spend it. And I wanted to save it. So he kind of had this mentality of, you know, you know, just spend the money, be generous with your money. Um, and my mom was a little bit opposite. She would do, um, she would talk about saving money by, you know, we'd buy, we would buy our clothes at the swap meet. We would go to the thrift store and my dad was a complete opposite. So um, I think I geared a little bit more towards my mom because I saw how harmful some of the spending habits that my dad had. Um, my dad definitely, I mean, I knew how much money he was making and I definitely knew, especially during the finance, 2008 financial crash, that money was tight. I mean, I always knew when they were struggling. So they were pretty open about that. 
And how did this make you feel with money? Like, did it make you feel anxious or worried about it? Or was it something that wasn't really on your mind? It really made me feel anxious about it, honestly. And I think that's why when I graduated high school, I didn't spend money. I was scared. I mean, the financial, the 2008 financial crisis really scared me. My dad was also very giving because he was the one that was well off compared to others. He gave and gave and gave until, you know, his ultimate downfall where we didn't really have money. I was scared. I was scared of money. I was scared to talk to my then boyfriend that I was in debt. And it wasn't even my debt. It was my parents' debt. I was embarrassed to talk about that. I was embarrassed for him to pay for my, you know, whenever we would go out, I couldn't offer to pay. And I was embarrassed about that. So yeah, it definitely did bring a little bit of shame and what is it, scarcity mindset. I just wanted a hog. <laughs> no, I get that. Like having debt is definitely the worst. And it's crazy that we live in like a country that although so many people have debt, they're still like buying a lot of things, right? So it's like still capitalistic, like we want things, but then we also don't want to say we have debt, but they kind of go hand in hand because it's kind of hard to avoid it. How did you decide that you wanted to talk about this topic online? Because, you know, money is still a big like taboo topic. So it's like, how did you decide I'm going to talk about this? So it started out with just one conversation with a family member. And that was my um, husband's sister. I mean, I knew that she was a high earner and she was talking about investing. And then I looked to my husband, I looked at him and I said, why aren't we investing? And we didn't know why. We seriously said, I don't know. I mean, do we not have enough money? So then that kind of sparked something in me. And I started watching a ton of personal finance on YouTube on my free time during my break I'm at work. And I got really into it. You kind of get into this rabbit hole and you keep reading about it. I still have it, but I have a list. I wrote down a list of like 12 personal finance books I wanted to read. I read them all. I read Broke Millennial, Work Optional, Quit Like a Millionaire, Invested, and so many other books. And then just something lit up. If I didn't know this, how many others in my community don't know this right now. I started posting on my personal Instagram every day on investing, on budgeting. And I got a couple of messages saying that it was helpful and that they really liked that I was talking about money. This personal finance content creator, her name was First Millie. She said, why don't you make a personal finance account on Instagram? And then I had other people say the same thing. And I said, okay, you know, instead of just posting for for maybe a couple or maybe some people to look at in my personal finance account. I mean, not everyone was interested. I'm just going to make my own account. And if I wanted to pivot towards this type of career, instead of telling people or my future employers that this is something I'm passionate about, why don't I just show it? Yeah, I really grew with the intent of helping my community. And I really have. And it makes me feel really good about it. That's definitely very important because if you're passionate about it, it shows and it definitely shows in like your posts that I've seen in your stories. I've 
been loving seeing your stories about finding a new job and like how that whole process has been because <laughs> I'm currently in that same process and it's like okay I don't feel so alone like there's ups there's downs like that's what it's going to yeah. be <laughs> so I know you are currently transitioning between jobs and you work in the nonprofit sector which you mentioned before which is very different than many other personal finance creators that are more like on the higher end um, jobs like tech or uh, things like that. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure you've talked with other creators and like kind of what your experience is like, you know, giving your point of view and your advice in this industry instead of like being in a different industry. I did definitely see that there is a lot of personal finance creators that are software engineers, engineers. There's very few of us that are in the nonprofit. I also like to talk about the bad side of nonprofit world too. So I think definitely, you know, talk. I'm not embarrassed to put them on blast. I really am not. Honestly, I kind of just stayed within this industry. So I started off as a public health major with a bachelor's. There aren't that many options for a public health major unless you have a master's. And I honestly, when I graduated college, my confidence level was really low. Before I graduated college, I didn't even think I could get a job at McDonald's. That's how little confidence I had. So I landed a job at a nonprofit as an AmeriCorps. And if you know anything about an AmeriCorps, they legally make less than minimum wage. I could have made more money working at a Starbucks or at a McDonald's than an AmeriCorps. Wait, that's but, crazy. I don't, know, I, I don't know how. Although we don't pay taxes as much as everyone else because it's a technically a government job. I got that job because I didn't think I was able to get a better job at the time. So then I stayed at the nonprofit for a year, a service year, making 15000 that year. I still didn't have the confidence because I felt like that experience did not give me enough experience to land a better job. So I stayed at the nonprofit that was really toxic, but I knew, I knew I, I was going to leave when I accepted that job. And I did, that was my goal. And it was really, I guess I didn't want to pivot because I knew it would be hard to pivot. I knew it would be easier to stay. That is why I also you know, I really do like the culture of a nonprofit. It's not competitive. I have a really good work-life balance. My boss does not bother me. After 4 p.m., I'm done. They don't bother me at all. And they really like to emphasize, you know, mental health, the importance of it. The pay isn't amazing. The benefits are pretty good. I don't pay a premium for my health insurance. They even put some money in my HSA. I stuck with what I know. And because I was so good at it, I like doing things I'm really good at, but I, I know I shouldn't limit, limit myself. So I am planning on pivoting. I really want to gain some skills so I can pivot. And that's what I will be working on next. Ooh, okay. Right now okay. I wanted to focus on increasing my income. Yeah. Being in the nonprofit industry, you can make money, but it depends. There are some industries that pay really low, some that pay okay, and some that pay pretty good. It just kind of depends on how they run their finances. It really does. Would you ever consider working on that side of the nonprofit sector, like with the finance part? Because I know there must, like, there must be a lot that goes into that. 
The finance sector of the nonprofit? Well, like the finances side of the nonprofit, like like what you're saying right now, how like managing yeah. the finances and everything, or is that what you do? I'm actually, I don't know what you do in nonprofits, so I'm not sure. I'm fundraising, so... I thought you wanted me, no, not finance, no way. I have been thinking about being a consultant for nonprofits as my next step. So I'm really excited about that. So I was trying to decide, you know, do I want to pivot or do I want to get really good at my skills? Because my skills are really specialized. Not a lot of people have these skills. I'm not, I don't want to say it was easy to get my job, but there aren't a lot of people that have my skills. So I thought maybe I should just specialize in this and then become a consultant in the future. Still working in the nonprofit industry. But honestly, I do get jealous of people that are in different industries. I mean, when I see my husband, um, he just pivoted into tech. And to see his base plus RSUs, which is restricted stock units, and the bonuses, I'm like, wow, we would never. <laughs> it was so sad because at the, my old job, you know how we would get bonuses? People would have to vote for you. It was like oh. a popularity contest. Oh. No one knows me. I work behind the scenes in a database. No one's going to vote for me <laughs> to yeah. get a bonus. So I really did not like that. But, you know, some nonprofits do offer. I was interviewing for some companies um, that were paying a lot. I think they said they gave 5% bonuses every year, which is a lot for a nonprofit. But then when I was looking at the reviews, a lot of people were saying that they were overpaid. Like the CEO was overpaid. So, I mean, that could be a red flag. So those are some things, you know, with the nonprofit industry, some people think, well, you know, they shouldn't be paid a lot because, you know, donors give money, but why wouldn't you want to pay top dollar for someone that is tackling really difficult social issues? So it's a balance. You know, I think people deserve to be paid well, because this, this is hard stuff. It really is. Because it's being measured to, you know, how good are you meeting the needs of the communities you're serving, not with profits. So they pretty much spend almost all of the money that they get. And some of it's really restricted. So if a donor says, I only want it to go to this, I don't want it to go to general operating support, you have to abide by it. You just, you just have to. It just, it sucks, but you can't spend it the way you want to. I mean, that's how a good nonprofit would do it. But yeah, did I answer your question? I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> you did. You did. But I'm on a tangent about nonprofits. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, it's definitely stuff I'm sure a lot of people don't really know about or understand that well. So if anybody is interested in that, like they have a little bit better idea. But yeah, I, I have heard that with nonprofits that like donating money it can be very restrictive depending on like I guess who the person is donating and what they want it yeah. done for and there's so many different moving parts I'm guessing right because there's so many things going on behind the scenes that people don't see yeah dealing and it's kind of amazing just seeing how <laughs> and they're really serious donors are really serious they're like I only want you to use it on this but then we're like well, but we don't need funding for that right now we need funding to keep the lights on that's what we need it for to pay our staff. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult because you definitely have to know how to convey it to them. Yes, I get it. You want to help the children, but you know, in order for, in order for us to help the children, you know, this needs to be funded too. Like, let us use that money. And sometimes it works. They do listen. And it's also incredible to see the wealth that comes in, the money that they drop. I mean, some people have more money than they know what to do with. <laughs> Exactly. And other people just keep it forever. Generational wealth. <laughs>
Yeah. Um, have you considered possibly starting your own business or your like own side business with your with your page as a way to generate extra income or possibly as your future job? Yeah, so I have thought about it and I really would like to do something like write an ebook or an e-guide and sell it. I don't right now I, I would not want to do coaching right now. I'm a very empathetic person and I feel like that would be a little bit too heavy on me, just kind of helping people like that, just mentoring them. I would, and if I would mentor them, I would want to get a CFP. I don't know why I feel like I need credentials. I don't want to just call myself a money expert without the credentials. That's just me personally. Yeah. I would love to work on a guide. I have done some workshops. I was supposed to get paid for one, but it never happened. (laughs) But I, yeah, I mean, I would love to do workshops and maybe sell some digital products sometime. Definitely. And I'm sure that those can be really helpful, even basic or simple things that you think. So I love this saying that common knowledge is not common because Mm -hmm. if you start talking to people about money, about anything, like you'll see that, you know, all of these different things and somebody may know like two or three things. So whatever you know and is actual fact that you could like write it up or anything, I'm sure there's definitely people that would benefit from that. Yeah, exactly. And also the point of view from a first gen Latinx person is so different. I mean, most of the books that I read, not one of them was written by a Latinx person. I mean, one person was a clever girl finance, Bola. She's an immigrant. So that was the closest thing, but We just need more representation. They don't see things the way we do. They don't have the same struggles that we do. Especially like what you were saying, like helping your mom translate documents, you know, or just in general, anything. I'm sure something that a lot of people don't have to go through. Like that's not even on their radar. Like I know I I help my mom up to this day, like translate emails at times. So it's something that like, is just forever. (laughs) But like, if you're not in that same situation, like you're never going to know about it. Yeah. And also worrying about your parents' retirement. I mean, I was just making fun of my, my husband and his sister because they were worried about his dad being lonely. And I said, wow, if that's the most you guys have to worry about, count yourself lucky. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm actually worried about my parents' retirement. And right now I'm working on that. I opened my uh, Roth IRA for my mom and I'm managing it. Those are the types of things that you have to do as opposed to other people, you know, their parents, they've been investing, you know, when they started working. And then a lot of our parents don't have traditional jobs, jobs that have benefits. So it makes it that much more difficult for us. And we always have to think about when it comes to investing and saving, we have to include them. And most of these books, it did not talk about that. It's all about me, me, me. But really in our cultures, it's not all about us. We have to consider everyone, not everyone, but just the people in our close family circle. I've heard it um, be referred to as like the sandwich generation where it's like, we'll have to take care of our parents and then also our kids. Yeah, definitely. But you know what makes me really hopeful? When I look at my nieces and my brother is investing for them, you know, really early on. So can you imagine that for the future generations? Honestly, millennials, we kind of kind of shit out of luck. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it just, it really just depends, right? Because it's like, if your parents don't know about it, then obviously they 
aren't able to teach you. And so like, if you get into this game yeah. eventually, it's like, okay, at least you've started. But when did you start? Like, there's other people that like you're saying your nieces are starting and they probably don't really know much about it. Eventually they'll learn, but some people right. don't learn until like their twenties, sometimes even their thirties. So, and there's other families that have been able to teach their kids about this since they were little and start funds for them and trust or, you know, whatever. And they have like this edge already like years decades ahead of so many other people especially immigrants especially first generation so it really changes the game a lot yeah definitely but I'm so excited to see them and to have that money to have that opportunity I mean can you imagine if you had that opportunity or it really would have been a game changer it really would have but sometimes it's like families it's either more about survival or just living that yeah. like these things aren't even coming to mind because it's like there's too many other things like on our plate to worry about so. exactly but then at the same time we like to help our community because you know when we have quinceañeras we have like a padrino de vestido I, I even saw like a padrino or madrina that of a cake knife you know <laughs> we definitely like to you know celebrate lavishly we like to have our parties we do pitch in with funerals so I like to challenge that and say, you know, we can balance it, you know, maybe instead of a big party or, you know, just giving a child toys, what if everyone pitched in $20? Or what if you got the child a significantly cheaper gift, maybe like a $15 gift, you know, the rest of that money that you budgeted for could go for to their college fund. So there's a lot of things that I feel like we can change. But then I know that some families are struggling, that it really isn't an option, not even having a quinceañera. And I do want to acknowledge that we really can't, in that, in that case, we can't financial literacy their way out of poverty. They are systems that we yeah. need to address. No, definitely. It goes way beyond just that. And sometimes like there's some families that I know save for these different events and everything. And like, yeah. because it's their culture, because that's what, how it's always been. Sometimes it's hard to change people's thoughts or mindsets on it. Yeah, it really is. And it's really special to have a quinceañera because that's one time of year that when else do you have your family get together like that? It, it's it's a process and it's going to be a really long process to kind of just yeah. have people learn more about it and just think about their finances. Because at the end of the day, you know, although communities can help and everything, when you're old and you really need that money, like going to be hard to get a lot of people all the time to be able to help you yeah. you have to have some type of plan definitely definitely um yeah I mean in terms of communities helping I would say that's kind of like a one-off thing and not really a sustainable thing right definitely and speaking of finances and them being personal I want to know if you are in search of fire or any variation of that or have you thought about that is that like in your money goals so I would like to retire at around 40 I'm currently 27 years old um and I would like to retire but still have I don't want to say passive income but sort of passive income my goal would be to have a property or two that can be bringing in income so then it does give me the option I for me a number I would like to hit for retirement by that time would be maybe around two million I don't want to say fire but I don't know why I don't want to say fire because you know I'm not really intense about it 
-hmm. I do like to spend money on things that I value. And I think my husband will still be working. I feel like he would really want to work. He can't. Some people will say they, they don't want to retire because they'll get bored. But honestly, I feel like that I was meant to retire. <laughs> Ever since I, I am um, relaxing. I feel like there's so much to do. I have so much family. I would probably spend a bulk of my time with my family if I was retired. Hiking, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh cooking, you know, even cleaning to me, it's like an all day task. But, and then I would also do things that I really love. I mean, I would probably still talk about this. You know, this is something that I'm passionate about. So I would definitely talk about this, maybe foster some animals. So, you know, my plan right now is I like to do a type of zero-based budget and I pay yourself first too. So I'm always having money being taken out of my paycheck. And if I have a surplus at the end of the month, I put it right back into investments. It's really exciting for me to do that. I really love seeing that I can put in more money. And if I'm able to do that with my nonprofit salary, so before I was making, I was making under 60K, if, you know, making more money, I feel like I would be really good at it. <laughs> higher salary. And it makes me excited to think, you know, especially with my new job, that I would be able to put it away more money. Um, so yeah, to me, and I want to retire because I want to be there for my family. I'm not sure if I want to have children yet, but if I if I do, I'm going to have the option to be there because my mom was there for me. And that was, I really liked that. I appreciated that. And I don't want, I don't want to give, I don't want my mom to take care of my kids because I know she's tired. I want to have the option. That's what I want. Ultimately, I want options. And that's what money can give you. Definitely. I love that options it, I think it's like even more important for me than like actually retiring early yes. and like I know buyers become such like a hot topic within like the yeah. finance community and like it's it might not be for everybody some people enjoy what they yeah. do like maybe they want to be able to work less but they still want to continue doing what they love so and there's nothing wrong with that the thing about fire too and I don't know if you follow Mrs. Dow Jones she was making fun of it because she was saying that, okay, you guys are saying you're fire, but really you just switched careers. You know, you're, you're a blogger, you're a YouTuber. Are you really fire? Because you're still working, <laughs> you know, just selling, you know, those tech bros that quit their job, but you know, they became a blogger and they're making a ton of money there or they're selling courses on fire. It's not what it seems, you know? Right. Don't compare yourself to others. You know, someone that was a high earner and is still making money, profiting off of, you know, selling fire. That's not, I would not consider that fire. And what, what is your take on that? No, I totally agree. I mean, if anything, we should come up with a new term where it's like fire from corporate, like so that it's, you're not yes. in that space exactly. anymore. 
Yes, that actually makes perfect sense because I keep seeing people. It's like, well, you're you're still working, okay? I actually don't really want to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that you said that. Seriously, before I even entered the workforce, I was like, I'm ready to retire. Where do I sign up? <laughs> I was honestly made to be a web owner because it was kind of my way when I was a kid of fighting the patriarchy. Because you know who my mom would tell to cook and clean me. Oh, are you the only daughter? No, my sister too. So she would wake us up like on a Saturday morning to clean. And I hated it. I'm like, why doesn't he have to do this? So it kind of affected me that my husband's family makes fun of me. You know what I do? And it's terrible. I'm a terrible host because of it. I, whenever someone brings food or we cook food, I serve myself, my plate and my fork and whatever. And then everyone else was like, what about us? I was like, oh. (laughs) Because, you know, it would make me so angry as a kid. My brother would always want to get served. And my way of fighting back is like, no, I'm not serving you. I don't care. And I always saw that growing up, you know, why my mom, my aunt serving my, uh, my cousins, my male cousins first, my uncles, and then we would get served second. So my way of fighting back, which is makes me a terrible host is, you know, putting myself first. (laughs) I don't know if you can relate to that. And I don't know how, you know, Peruvian culture, if, you know, men were got away with being lazy, got away with doing whatever they want. My brother was a partier. Like he would leave whenever he would want. And I couldn't even go, I couldn't even go on a school trip without my mom (laughs) freaking out. Being a girl in Latino culture compared to being a boy is a different world, literally. I don't have any brothers and I don't really have many guy cousins, but like from everything I was limited and able yeah. to do, because <laughs> that was just a shorter list than what was I was not able to do. It's just like crazy. Yeah. So I was meant to be lazy. And <laughs> I cannot wait. I want to have one day I want to have my own cleaning person. That's my goal. So then I can tell my mom, ha. <laughs> because she would always say, no tenemos sirvientas. And I can't wait to be like, well, now I have one. You know, I mean, I don't want to say servant, but, you know, I have a cleaning person and really save some time and really spend my money intentionally there. Because right now I save a lot of money on things that I don't value. So that would be something I would value. Because mm-hmm. definitely because it gives you time you're literally buying time time is so important and I used to do things that were really cheap <laughs> I've done my own yard and and I realized wait I'm saving money but I'm not saving time and I'm also doing a terrible job <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't be so concerned in saving in this area yeah I totally get that. (laughs) Do your parents actually know about your page? And if they do, do they have any opinions on it? Because I'm sure. Oh, (laughs) lots of opinions. Oh, it's funny. So my dad doesn't have any socials. I think he knows about it. And sometimes my sister shows him, but he's not really looking. My mom follows me and likes all my posts. (laughs) I love that (laughs) support from your mom. But sometimes you know, some people from Mexico are following me. And then she told me one time, Karen, 
why are you telling people that we're poor? And I'm like, well, I didn't, I don't think I said that. So I think um, the people, my family from Mexico that are following me, they don't really understand. So I think that's what they got from some of my posts. So then they start talking. And the thing is, because of the pandemic, I haven't seen people. I haven't been to Mexico. I haven't seen my aunts or talked to them. So I have no idea what that reunion would be like and them asking about my page. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like they would probably say, why are you saying this about, you know, mm-hmm. our family? But, I, and I talked to other creators about it too. And ultimately they said that it's our story. So, you know, we have the right to speak our truth and our story. Yeah, I'm not speaking my mom's truth. I'm not speaking my dad's truth. It's my truth. Mm -hmm. definitely is there um at least with your family a lot of like like and kind of like what your mom was saying with like with your aunt and everything in Mexico wait I'm sorry what was that like what what will they think or what will they say I don't know if that's like a thing (laughs) in your family it is it is and it's but not really with what I'm posting on personal finance, but with my family, it's definitely like with mental health or any of our personal struggles, mm-hmm. that really, or financial struggles that we might've gone through, that really hurts. So I've definitely haven't said my whole story because I, we've been through a lot and I know that it would really hurt our family. So it's kind of hard just kind of balancing you know, what the amount of things I can say, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, they definitely do think that, but if anything, I think my mom is a little proud too, because <laughs> she, you know, how parents are sometimes they, at first they talk shit. And then once you actually do it, they brag about it. <laughs> right. Once you actually get to a point where it's like, oh, you're doing something, you have some type of influence. Then they're like, oh, yo le dije desde el comienzo. I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah. It was the same way with my husband and my boyfriend. My mom would talk shit. Just like, why are you staying with him? Blah, blah, blah. And now she kind of shows off about how smart he is and stuff like that. So it's so funny. Now I'm just thinking, I'm not going to take them seriously. Like, okay. No, you're talking shit now, but you're gonna brag about it later because you'll see. You'll see where I go. (laughs) Definitely. What is some advice that you'd have for someone who's looking to start their own money journey? You know, some advice that I would have is to learn as much as you can, and you can do it for free. I did all of my learning for free. I did it on YouTube and I did it through a library app and I learned as much as I can about money and also connect with people that have similar experience experiences as you so to me it was so amazing to see other personal finance creators on YouTube on YouTube sorry Instagram and connect with them I zoomed with them too I I met with them I talked with them and it was so cathartic to just hear that they have very similar stories, traumas and experiences as me, and just to share advice. So just really start learning about it, get a community to, you know, to help you through it, to make sure to see that you're not alone. And also quit your job. If you're being underpaid, quit your damn job. (laughs) 
quit your job and get paid what you're worth. Find out what you're worth too, because you might be leaving money on the table and just know that you don't have to be wealthy. You know, start small because those small steps can lead to a lot you know, bigger steps and bigger goals. So just get started, really. Yeah, sometimes that's the hardest step, honestly. Sometimes it really is. You say to find out, like, what you're worth. Is there, like, a certain website where you can kind of get, like, a gauge of, like, where somebody could be at with, like, experience in in a specific field or anything like that? I don't know if you know of any resources like that. Yeah, so there's, so, like, Payscale, um, Glassdoor, but sometimes you take it with a grain of salt but the way that you find out your worth is when you start interviewing because then you realize oh I can actually get this much money so what you want to do when you start interviewing ask what their budget is don't say the number first ask what their budget is and then ask for more also reaching out to people on LinkedIn that have similar experiences and roles as you is also a good start asking people at your organization how much they're getting paid if you're in a similar similar role so yeah definitely do your research have you ever had any backlash with that with asking like other co-workers what they're making because I know that there's some companies that have or try to implement policies where they don't want people asking because they don't want people to know if like somebody's making more than having people ask about it because I've definitely had that situation first of all I I'm not sure in all of the states but that's illegal they can talk about pay but they still some companies still like to write it in it's taboo I actually haven't but at the same time it's been I'm always open about pay when I talk to my other colleagues about it I know who not to ask So there was only one person that was in a similar role as me, but because she was retiring and she was 70 plus, I don't think she would have wanted to share. But other than that, I haven't really had people in the same role as me. So it's been difficult, but no, I haven't because usually I ask people that I'm pretty cool with. That's good. (laughs) And seriously, you should not get a backlash from it because that is actually a sign that you're working for a toxic employer if they don't let you talk about pay. Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't say that long. <laughs> it was very toxic. Oh, okay. That happened to you? <laughs> yeah, it was just a really bad experience overall. I think it was definitely my worst, um, like, work experience that I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, and some people aren't comfortable. So in the book that I read, A Broke Millennial Talks Money, she said if people aren't comfortable, maybe ask for a range. So not for their specific number. So just ask, you know, for a range and see if they're comfortable with that. And honestly, who isn't curious to know how much the other person makes? Yeah. Like, I'll tell you yours. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I totally agree. I think we need to break that idea that like we can't ask because we have to feel comfortable asking. And that's also hard to do. Because you kind of get nervous. Yeah, I don't even know why it's taboo anymore. It really shouldn't be. I think the employers made it taboo so it would benefit them, really. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because then they end up, they could pay somebody this amount and somebody that amount, and they have the same experience. Actually, now thinking about it, being a woman, do you feel like you've ever been lowballed for positions because you're not a man? You know, it's funny because in the nonprofit industry, it's all predominantly women and women of color, but white women and white men are in executive roles. I would say not, I don't know if I would say because I'm a woman, but because of my demeanor, I'm very soft-spoken or I was, 
And maybe it was because I'm a woman. I don't know now. <laughs> and that's <laughs> the thing, sorry. right? You'll never really know because unless you ask yeah. somebody and would they be honest? Who knows? Yeah. And they're women too. So that really sucks too. Well, I mean, I tried negotiating one time and I got scared because I got shut down. I, I mean, the, one of my first jobs, my boss, I was trying to negotiate and I was negotiating bad. I was trying to negotiate by cutting my benefits and getting a higher pay. And she said, you know, we're paying you this. And if that's okay, because that's all I can offer. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. She cut me off. Yeah, I worked for a really micromanaging boss. And I feel like she treated me like that because I was a woman. She did not treat my male coworkers that way. She was even micromanaging about my hair. She said, you know, in an event, and you're going to put your hair up, right? Really? And I, I know she probably would have never said that to my male coworker. I don't, I don't know if I can compare something, maybe his beard, but it's hard. And I never thought about it. You know, you think about, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm a woman of color? Is it because of my demeanor? Is it because I've, you know, I come off really shy and, and sweet that people take advantage of that? I don't know. Or is it all of it? I think that's the hard part, right? Because it's like, how do you know what to really improve or how if you don't really know what people see as like a weakness, like a quote unquote weakness in you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt that the way I look has affected the way people perceive me. I mean, at my current job, I had a coworker tell me, and I wrote about this on a post that I shouldn't accept a gift from someone because they're going to look at they're going to look at it as helping a poor brown girl. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> That's what they're going to look at me as? And you're already jumping to that conclusion. Um, and also, whenever we're out and about with my husband, no one ever asks me for money. They always ask him. Mm. Which is kind of convenient at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like with panhandlers and, you know. Mm-hmm. You never mm-hmm. asked me. I don't know why. Oh, she has one. <laughs> Skip over. <laughs> when I travel, when I travel, when I went to Mexico, I had a guide and she had light skin and they would always ask her. They thought she was the foreigner, the, the tourist. They didn't even look at me. But at the same time, like, okay, in that case, I mean, I don't mind people not asking for money. But <laughs> <laughs> and also it is kind of empowering to empowering when you kind of put people in their place though okay. you know when when people ring the doorbell oh can i you know where's the owner of the house you know i am the owner of the house <laughs> okay so because this is a travel and mental health podcast as well in addition to personal finances were these two topics ever talked about in your home was mental health ever seen as like a taboo subject i don't know if if these were ever you know present for you growing up? Yeah, so mental health is definitely a taboo topic. I can't go too much into the specifics, but it's pretty much hush-hush. If there's someone in my family that has a mental health issue, it's not even addressed. We don't even like to, not me, but um, my family doesn't like to talk about it, which really hurts, you know? And it really, to me, it was kind of a missed opportunity for some people to get the help. You know, because it's so taboo, you're in denial, you don't, you don't get the proper care because you're in denial and it's taboo. And then you also don't have the resources on top of that. 
definitely something that we're working on. That's good. And travel. I don't know if your family had like the resources to ever like go on trips or like go back to Mexico or. Yeah. So kind of like with a lot of other people, you know, a lot of first gen, all of the travel money is spent on going back to the motherland. And my parents, my mom specifically likes to be generous. So whenever she went back to Mexico, she had to bring like big bags of clothes and stuff to give away. We actually used to travel every year to Mexico from when I was seven. So from when I was seven to 14, from Los Angeles to Jalisco, which is where my family is from, we would go in car and we would pack the shit out of that car. <laughs> Whatever they wanted, my mom would take in the expedition. That's what we, when my dad would drive. It would take like two days. Like my dad would not stop except for gas and food. It was intense. And ever since then, I hated road trips. So I just oh. hated them because <laughs> it was so intense. And then after that, we realized that it was a little bit too dangerous to travel by car and we would go by plane, but pretty much the vacation, the vacation was Mexico. And I always ask my mom, like, do you ever want to go somewhere else? No, because they, you know, she really wanted to see her family. She really, you know, for my family, my parents, the family back home is really important and they never forget about them. I mean, they're always talking on the phone and they're always, you know, talking about, you know, what they're going to bring. And they, they get really excited about the parties that they throw because they throw a lot of parties, like in the plazas. I don't know if you have experience, but mm-hmm. they really look forward to that. That's really important to them. And that's enough. And for me, I'm like, come on, can we just go somewhere else? <laughs> but no, I mean, my mom wants to see her mom because she's aging. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes total sense. Uh, My family also growing up, like we would go to Peru all the time. And now a couple of years ago when my last grandpa passed away, now my parents have started going other places, but for the most part, yeah, it was like mainly going, going to Peru. Now as an adult though, do you like with your husband, do you guys travel to different places? Is that something that's like also of interest to both of you that you guys want to incorporate more? Yeah, we definitely want to incorporate it more. We've only been to, we went to Cuba in 2017. That was really fun. I loved Cuba and really sad about the situation now. We were supposed to go on a honeymoon and the, in March, 2020, March 12th or 13th, when the pandemic hit, I lost around $1,200 that I couldn't get back. I fought so hard to get my money back and no, I cried, but I wanted to plan a trip this year, but I'm kind of scarred. I'm scared of countries closing up their borders. I'm scared of, I, I really want to get into travel. But right now I am going to focus on doing more trips in the U.S. instead of going abroad, just because of that fear that I have right now. But we definitely plan on traveling a lot before we have kids. Mm-hmm. And right now I have next one on, so I'm not having kids for the next three years. <laughs> or more probably going to put another one in um but yeah that's something we want to do he definitely wants to go to japan because he's japanese and he wants to make i want to go to china because he's also half chinese but he's a little he's not he's (laughs) kind of iffy about it where were you guys going to go for your honeymoon we were going to go to london and italy oh that's a great itinerary 
<laughs> which I still well, have. Save it. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Save it for when you feel comfortable to go and you'll make it there. Uh, and we have, this is embarrassing, not embarrassing, but we have like $5,000 worth of points saved up, which um, I know yeah. <laughs> didn't burn, but I don't know, just something about it that I want to use it for a trip, which is so dumb. And I know a lot of people would say, you need to just use it. So probably going to use it maybe like on a first class airplane ticket. Well, that would be so nice. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that we're getting to the end, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add. So if you get anything from this podcast uh, episode, I would say to just get started, you know, taking a deep dive of your finances, really get to know where is your money going? What do you value? Do some intentional spending, just make an audit, give yourself an audit, learn, just learn a lot about personal finance and find someone that you can connect with because there's so many different types of creators. There's people that dance and do personal finance like Clover. Find someone that resonates with you. That's what you should do. Just find someone that resonates with you, you know, whether in, in different uh, platforms too. It could be TikTok, it can be YouTube, it can be Instagram. Find something that works for you. And even like with a budgeting style, personal finance is personal and you can really customize it, you know, however you like. It's not a one size fits all. So yeah, get started. <laughs> Definitely. I love that. So how can people find you? So I am just on Instagram because if I make anything else, I might get really overwhelmed <laughs> at no soy coda on Instagram. Perfect. I'm going to add that to the show notes so you guys can find it there. Thank you so much, Karen, for being on here and for taking the time to do this interview with me. I loved having you on it and hearing all about your perspective on all things money. Oh, thank you so much, Flavia. I love your content. It's such an honor too, just to see a, La a Latina traveler, you know, everyone go follow her because she is amazing and inspirational. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I feel like Karen shared with us so many different gems about working in the nonprofit sector, but then also really focusing on her personal finance journey. I know a lot of people in the personal finance journey are in higher paying jobs. So hearing her perspective was definitely really different because it shows you that you don't need to be making a lot of money to then also know what to do with that money so that it can work for you later on in the future. So that was my biggest takeaway from it. And I, I loved it. So I've linked all of her socials and where you can find her in the show notes So make sure to check them out and give her a follow. And I can't wait to see you for the next episode of the Latina Traveler podcast. Hasta pronto. Adios.